about the the lack of offense that they have. Welcome to the Two Points Podcast discussing the AAF as we always do, even though it is hard to take your eyes off of the TV screen with free agency frenzy going on. Let us not forget the AAF just surpassed the halfway mark of the regular season. That's what we're going to focus in on this episode. This show is hosted, as always, by myself, Nick Faber, and my man, John Valencia. What's up, John? What's up, what's up, Nick? How's it going? Um, definitely appreciate anyone listening to this amid, uh, amidst uh, this uh, free agency frenzy we have going on. This is like the craziest free agency frenzy I can remember in the NFL in some time. I feel like we say that every year, but this certainly has been a special couple days for the NFL. It, sh- it surely has, especially if we're not even done. We have Le'Veon Bell still yet to sign. We had some breaking news right before we started this podcast. We just saw OBJ get traded to the Browns. It's crazy. We're not here to talk about the NFL, though. Let's jump to the AAF. Make sure, real quick, that you follow us on Twitter, at Nick Faber NFL and at John Valencia BF. Subscribe on SoundCloud. And now, freshly added to iTunes. So let's get this rolling. Let's do it. Um, so the Orlando Apollos, they, in the what was dubbed to be the game of the week, perhaps the game of the season so far, they went out and pretty much destroyed the Birmingham Iron on the road. So that leads me to this question, Nick. Is Orlando going to run the table? Are they going to be undefeated? Are they going to be a 10-0 at the end of the regular season? It's a great question. And so my answer simply is yes. And to draw that out a little bit, exactly like what you said, in the regular season, they'll be 10-0. The Apollos, though, will be 10-0 heading into their playoff game against the rejuvenated Birmingham Iron, who will upset the Apollos and advance to the championship, facing the Commanders, just as I predicted, after Week 2. They'll have a few battles, though, John, won't they? Week 7 against Atlanta is going to be a very contested match. Uh, They're going to Atlanta. Week 10 against Birmingham before the playoff game is going to be a... Very big week, uh, but ultimately, for the regular season, I do believe the Apollos go 10-0. and I'm with you there. It's just really hard to imagine this team losing right now. Um, it just seems like they're a, a step above each team, at least on the offensive side. You know, the best quarterback in the league, definitely the best offensive line in the league, defensive playmakers, and atomic plays on defense, which is something I've been saying for a couple weeks now. And then Steve Spurrier, by far, I would say, is the best coach in the league. And like you brought up their schedule and I just don't, I don't see where they, where they, where they get upset. You know, this week against Arizona, I would love to see the hot shots come away with the win there, but I just don't see that happening. Um, as you mentioned, on the road against Atlanta, that could, I think that's, that's the biggest chance game. they have of being upset. Maybe week ten against Birmingham, depending on how their offense shapes up in the second half of the year. But if if you had to pick one game they're going to lose, what would you go with, Nick? I would say Atlanta. That's the trap game. Yeah. That's the six and zero Orlando Apollos going to possibly three and three Atlanta, who's surging with Aaron Murray. Um, it's you know Atlanta's going to be hungry if they see uh, undefeated Orlando in Week Seven. So that would be the game that I if if they had to lose a game in the regular season, that's what I would predict. I totally agree with you there. So on the flip side of of the Orlando Birmingham game, we saw Luis Perez, who we talked about a little bit last episode. I kind of stand for and then he goes out there as an early interception and gets benched I will say I think they pulled the plug on him a little bit early I think we knew he was gonna be on a short leash this week especially in a big game but Keith Price I loved him at UW when I was playing with the Washington Huskies I believe he succeeded Jake Locker as a quarterback there back this probably like eight years ago by now but um so should with Luis Perez being benched how do you kind of – what do you see from this offense moving forward? How did you like Keith Price under center? So I like Keith Price a lot, right? So he, he got the first passing touchdown for the iron. So he already is light years above Perez in my book. He showed promise on the run. 
He was very uh, athletic and accurate. He didn't seem to make too many wrong decisions. They just were in a hole that they couldn't crawl out of. So I'm not blaming like Price for the loss that the Iron had. And I don't think they're a team to be counted out right now. I do think it needed to happen. I mean, we talked about how they probably shouldn't bench him. But he had to prove his worth. Well, he did that by throwing a pick six in the first quarter. Ultimately, the last pass of the game for Perez. And honestly, for the sake of the Iron fans, hopefully the last pass of the season for Perez. It needed to be done. Uh, I liked Keith Price, and I think he's going to light a fire under everyone for the rest of the year. Yeah, Price, he certainly brings more mobility. Um, and that's kind of what you need in that Birmingham offense because – as we've been talking about in the past couple of episodes, their offensive line has been hindered by injury. And when you have a, I don't want to call Luis, Luis Perez a statue under center, but when you have a guy who can't really move outside the pocket that well, I mean, your offense is just doomed. So Price, he definitely brought another dimension to that offense, a dimension that they needed. Um, in terms of accuracy, I don't think he's that much above Perez. Perez, it really just comes down to decision-making with him. Like on that interception, that, that interception he threw, coming out, I was like, oh, that actually looks like a pretty good ball from him. Yeah, he had a lot of zip on it, but obviously it was just right to the defender. But uh, with Keith Price, I just want to see a little bit improved accuracy. I think he did throw a few interceptable balls, but um, he got lucky. He didn't, he didn't have any turnovers, I don't think. But um, yeah, Luis Perez getting benched, that was a big storyline from this past week. Now moving, talking about another quarterback, um, so we've seen Zach Mettenberger take over for Memphis and that kind of um, resurged that team, Aaron Murray in Atlanta, and now Keith Price with the Iron. Um, should John Wolford be benched for the hot shots after they dropped their last three games? So this was a fun question. Like we talked about Perez last week, and then ultimately it happened very early in the game. This week we'll talk about John Wolford. I'm not going to sit John Wolford for Trevor Knight going into week six matchup against the league's best team, right? But... Wolford leads the league with 10 touchdowns and is tied with Matt Sims and Logan Woodside with the most interceptions, six. When Brett Favre did these kind of shenanigans, at least the Packers were winning, but the Hotshots beat a 1-4 Stallions team in Week 1. They beat a 1-4 Express team in Week 2, which still had Christian Hackenberg at the time starting for them, and the Hotshots won by two and barely led in that game. Look, if the hot shots throw up a dud in the first half, you absolutely need to bench Wolford for night at that point. If nothing else more than just to start a fire under the other players' asses. If hypothetically, though, you, you keep Wolford in for the whole, whole game and you lose, right? You're 2-4 and four and last in the West going into Week 7's matchup against San Diego. John, do you pull the trigger on Wolford then? Would you pull it on him now? What would you do? I'm not really pulling the. Tr- I'm not. I'm not benching him or anything right now. I think he's he's shown a lot. I think you can consider him one of the best quarterbacks in the league, despite the turnovers. This Arizona, te- if we're gonna point fingers for this Arizona team, it shouldn't be at Walford. It should be at the offensive line or the defense. Um, obviously, those turnovers certainly didn't help their cause last week in San Antonio. And if he doesn't throw those interceptions, they might even win that game. But just what we've seen from Trevor Knight so far, he he's looked abysmal. Um, they might as well move him to safety or something because I remember when he was at the combine, he did really well and, and teams wanted to move him to safety, but obviously he just wouldn't have that. So now he finds himself in the AAF backing up John Wolford. But we just need to see a complete game from Wolford and from this Hot Shots team because they've been, I don't want to say dominant in the second half, but they've looked like a completely different team in the second half as opposed to the first half in pretty much every single game they've played so far. But um, now I'm sticking with Wolford. He, I think he's the guy for Arizona right now, and he should, he should stay that way. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's not like you're uh, trying to develop another quarterback. Uh, Trevor Knight didn't look good. Uh, for me, though, if Wolford is struggling after the first half, get him out of there. Let's go, though. That was where the three topics. We're jumping into the Week 5 recap. Finishing up, like I said, we were halfway through the season And the first game that we got to see for the Week 5 was pretty much the game of the week. The the game that we wanted to see was Birmingham for real. Orlando, Birmingham. Orlando came out and pounded on the faulting iron, iron, though. They got to Perez early, and they got the quarterback who was once beloved, Mr. Luis Perez. They pulled him for backup Keith Price, who got the iron's first passing touchdown, as I mentioned, and... Proved to be a much-needed boost. 
However, he couldn't do enough to pull the iron out of the hole that they had already dug for themselves as the Apollos put another notch on their win post and improved to 5-0 and as the iron now have dropped two in a row, sitting at 3-2 and and are just one game above Atlanta for the second place in the East. So, John, moving forward, is Keith Price, does he look like the new sheriff in, in Birmingham? And are the Apollos still the best team in the AAF? What do you think? I'll answer the second question real quick with your Apollos. Yes, they are the best team in the AAF. Um, with Keith Price, I do think he's the man moving forward. I still have a soft spot for Perez, and I do prefer him as a quarterback. He's, he's just one of the younger guys. You know, he just needs more reps, more experience. Um, granted, Keith Price, he doesn't have many NFL reps or even AAF reps at this point, and he did look better. But um, he ignited that offense. They seem to gel a little bit better with him. And as I said before, when you have a poor offensive line, you need someone who can move around a little bit and show some mobility, and that's what Price did. Um, other takeaways from this game, Garrett Gilbert, still no interceptions for him on the air. I believe that's eight passing touchdowns, zero interceptions. Devion Smith took over for the Apollos in, in the second half. I think uh, uh, over 100 rushing yards. And with that Orlando backfield, it's really interesting between uh, Smith and Johnson. You know, who, who's going to be the hot hand? Who's going to get the bulk of the carries each week? I think that's something interesting to especially look forward to um, in this next week. And Birmingham, they didn't sack the quarterback once. I want to say that might be the first time this season where they didn't record a sack. That just goes to show how good Orlando is um, on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, they have a great offensive line. I mean, they have a great team. Steve Spurrier's a shoe-in for coach of the year. Gilbert, pretty much a shoe-in for MVP. I've said it every week, and I'm not going to stop anytime soon. Everyone else is playing for second place. The Apollos are definitely the best team in the AAF. However... I'm not going to sit here and talk about how great the Apollos are. Regarding the Iron, just because they've lost two straight doesn't mean they should be counted out like I said earlier. Listen, as they try to fend off the surging legends and the 1-4 and four Express in the East, the Iron have a well-balanced team, and now that they've moved on from Perez, I truly, truly believe that there's still a team that you don't want to face. Price was able to move the ball down the field against a good Orlando's defense. The Irons' defense is still very stout and will give opposing teams, I mean, other than Orlando, a very tough time. That was a couple of the takeaways that I had. But then we had a doozy. Then we had the, the, what was to be the game of the week, maybe the best game that we've ever seen in the AAF on Saturday night, Salt Lake versus San Diego. It had drama. It had action, deep throws, lead changes. It had it all. After a slow first half, San Diego's defense, a.k.a. Cameron Kelly, took over the game in the late third quarter. Salt Lake stormed back with under a minute remaining, getting helped by the refs on a fourth down play that fell short. The Stallions were then able to convert the touchdown and two-point conversion to take a 25-24 lead with just 50 seconds remaining. But that's not all. Berkovici then hit a 45-yard bomb to Dantes Ford with just 20 seconds remaining. San Diego kicked the game-winning field goal as time expired. As Steve Mariucci and the rest of the fans watching were able to breathe again, the fleet got another win to improve to 3-2 and two and stay tied for, the first, or for first place in the West. The Stallions dropped to 1-4 and four and will need a win in Week 6 to keep their season alive. John, what did you think of this roller coaster game? It was a fun one for sure. Um, these stallions just aren't making us look good. We've been hyping them up all every, every week. It seems like saying they're a better better team than a record indicates. Now they fall to one and four. I mean, I still think that 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 holds true. That they're a better team than the record indicates, but they're certainly not doing us any favors. But yeah, in this game, 690 combined passing yards, and who would have thought that would come between Berkovici and Woodrum? Um, Cameron Kelly, three interceptions, obviously the most in a game so far in AAF history. And I think this was the first game where we saw. A game-winning field goal as time expired, and then um, on Sunday we saw another game-winning field goal. But I don't think that was as time expired. But we'll get into that. And um, what's up with San Diego's r- rushing offense? Like they come out in the first few weeks just on fire. Jaquan Gardner, even Terrell Watson, was doing was being productive and spelling him very well. This week they get Bishop Sankey back, and he gets some carries. Jaquan Gardner, I think he didn't even rush for ten yards again this week. Watson didn't do anything. So obviously that rushing offense is critical to their success, but they were still able to come away with a win in this one. And uh, Demore Pearson L, he, he made me look good. Um, 130 receiving yards, 
which was incredible. And Salt Lake, they finally had that number one uh, passing weapon in Demore Pearson out. Yeah, just to answer something real quick, Jaquan Gardner, last two games, 18 carries, nine rushing yards. He's averaging 0.5 yards per carry. What happened? He was good. He led the league. He led the league. And going into week four, he had the most rushing yards. He was coming off of back-to-back 100-yard games. He had three touchdowns in those two games, 27 carries for 100 or 226 yards, followed by 18 carries for nine yards. Yikes. I don't know what happened. Personally, the game was great for the AAF, though. What an emotional roller coaster. Quarterbacks heaving the ball down the field, stout defenses, lead changes late. Regarding the two competitors in the game, it just comp- continued my thoughts for both of these teams. First of all, the Stallions, like you said, they're a good team, but they just can't find a way to win. They had this game all but wrapped up, needing to stop a fleet offense that had struggled all day and relied heavily on Cameron Kelly's three interceptions to even be in this game. But they couldn't. They dropped to one and four, last in the West. They're, they're not out of it yet with how close like the West is. But they need to get a W this week. As for the fleet, I'm still not buying into it. Look, this I'm ta- not either. right, like like the tactic, the tactic of winning in the fourth quarter is a scary, scary type of flex. Like that's just not how you need to be winning these games. I would not be relying on that, but that's what they're doing. They have a great coach, and that's the reason they're either three and two and not one and four. However, they seem to be pretenders in the to the naked eye especially with no run game anymore. But hopefully the return of Bishop Sankey can get the, them rolling on the ground again for their sake. But it was a crazy game. I'm not buying into San Diego either. However, that was Saturday. It was fun. It was, it was crazy. Let's jump to Sunday. When the very first game kept the craziness going, it was a great barn burner. Memphis and Atlanta were all squared up at 20 with just 13 seconds remaining when Young Hoku kicked his second straight game-winning field goal inside the final two minutes. He's cold-blooded, and no one in Atlanta cares. And as we once laughed at the Atlanta legends sitting third in the East, just one game behind Birmingham now for the playoffs, and they're 2-3, and three, riding a huge two-game winning streak. As for the Express, they dropped to 1-4. and four. They sit last in the East, two games behind the iron for a playoff berth with five games remaining. remaining. John, is Atlanta the real deal? Now with Murray, and what'd you think of this game? I think they are the real deal, honestly. That just I, I, I really um I talked about Zampezi last week and how his offensive scheme really saved this team this season. And I'm gonna stick with that. Their offense just looks like a totally, totally uh it's like a home makeover that old show where they come in like for a week or so and just totally transform your house. That's exactly what he's done with this offense. Aaron Murray has done a tremendous job of conducting it. And um, third downs was a big difference in this game. Memphis was only one for nine, whereas Atlanta was 10 for 18. And that's the thing with Atlanta. They, they don't have the big chunk plays, but they'll chip away, chip away, chip away three or four yards each play and get those first down conversions. Um, Murray goes over 300 yards for the first time. Um, Terry and Fol- Folston exploded. I think he's emerging as that feature back for the legends. Um, I think he came into the season as a number one but he kind of fell down the depth chart a little bit. I think he might have been hurt as well, but I think he's the guy. I know you like Brandon Ratcliffe. We, talked, we both talked about him last week. I think he's a good running back, but Colston, I think he's just the guy. And for the Met, for the Express, they only had nine completions against the Legends, and I don't think you're going to win any games when they have nine completions. None of their receivers or running backs had more than two receptions. And Tyson Graham for that Legends, he's been the leading tackler in the AAF seemingly every single week, and he finally gets his first interception. So that was really good to see as well in that, in that close win. Yeah, it was. I agree. Uh, it was a fun game. It was good to see Atlanta get their W. Uh, two and three now. I'm not buying in on Mettenberger, but I am buying in on the Legends. They're showing up as the Legends that we all expected now that they've made the offensive coordinator and quarterback change that was so desperately needed. Atlanta has San Antonio in week six and Orlando in week seven. So I'm going to hold off I'm crowning them actual contenders until I see them square up against the best two teams in back-to-back weeks. As yeah, they definitely split those games to have a chance they, at the playoffs. They have to. They have to win one. And again, it can be that trap game against Orlando. 
It can be against San Antonio, who is probably the, you know, the more likely team of it to happen, but they're a good team. So beating them is going to be very hard to do. Uh, but for the Express, it's just not there for them so far. I mean, they're playing well with Mettenberger. Uh, they just have some flaws, j basically just like the Stallions. They just can't get that last big play to seal a victory. They aren't out of it. They're not, they're not a walkthrough, uh, but I'm not buying in on them. Uh, but then that leads us to the last game of week five, was uh, kind of boring at first, and then fireworks at the end. However, Arizona falls a little short to San Antonio, as San Antonio held serve the whole game. So they were up 26-0. Wolford did lead the hot shots back to 29-25 before trying an onside conversion. With a minute remaining, the commander's defense got to him, sacked him, won the game just like that. Should have been easier than it was. They were up 26-0, I repeat. San Antonio, though, does improve to 2-1 on their four-game road trip and 3-2 and on the season as they stay tied with the fleet atop the West. Arizona drops their third in a row, falling to 2-3 and as they slowly watch their season fade away. John. What's more telling to you, the commander's third win of the season or the hotshot's third loss of the season? And what did you think of the Sunday night game? I'm going to say that the hotshot's third loss is more telling. I still like the potential of this team. Just I really like John Wolford. I like what he brings to the table. But this team cannot do anything in the first half, and it's killed them every single week. Going back to the first game against Salt Lake, um, it, it, it took them a long time until they finally got the lead late in the game. That's when Woodrum was hurt. Um, I saw last week they didn't do anything in the first half. This week they get outscored 26 to nothing in the first half. But in the second half, they're just like a totally new team every single week. So I've, I've been saying this about Arizona. We just need to see some complete games um, from them. But at this point, I don't, I don't think they're a playoff team, even in the wide open West. I, I think San Antonio is primed to kind of run away with that right now. Arizona, they might they might compete for that second spot, but it's not looking good. We need the defense to step up. We need Walford to play complete games and uh, limit turnovers. But this this was a really fun game. It was, it was good to see. Um, they didn't quit. They they still had life. They continued to fight. I um I really like to see the McKay and Ross. They kind of battled out a little bit, which I kind of talked about last week. Is what I expected. And um for Arizona in their passing game, they need someone else they can rely on besides Rashad Ross, um, especially with Josh Huff out. It's not looking good for that passing offense. And Ross and Wolford, they both need a little help there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, personally, this was a huge sign for, for both teams, right? The commanders, it proved that they truly are the best team in the West. They can run. Woodside can win them games. I think the talk of Manziel joining the team is now out the window. They're the team to beat in the West, and they will be the AAF champions, as I predicted in the first show of the Two Point Podcast. As for the hot shots, though, they're slumping hard. They face the 5-0 Apollos in Orlando this week and will need to stop the bleeding somehow. Wolford has lost that moxie that we spoke of in the first episode, and I'm realizing that the hot shots were 2-0 when we started this podcast and have now lost all three games since we started this podcast. All right, cool. We got to pull the plug. We might have to pull the plug. As for the Hot Shots season, I hope uh, none of the Hot Shots fans listening blame us for their 2-3 uh, first half of the season. They better come well, playing against Orlando, though. I am a Hot Shots fan, and I am going to blame us for their <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was it. Those were the games of uh, Week 5. Uh, let's jump into our power rankings, eh, John? Let's do it, Nick. So we're going to try and just keep it a little short this week. We, we realized last week we kind of went – a little long, so we're going to try and shorten it for you guys, but we do appreciate you sticking it out with us and listening. Um, so start from the bottom, as we always do. I think it's pretty clear at this point, um, throughout the few first weeks, we had two teams, the Express and the Legends, who were seemed like the doormat of the league, but the Legends have been able to pull away while the Express are are stalling, and they're at one and four. And I just, I don't know, Mettenberger, he, he's better than Hackenberg, obviously, but I just don't, I don't think he brings anything extra to that offense um, really just inaccurate passer. Some, he'll, he'll throw a good deep ball into the next. It's just way, a, a way misfire. So accuracy is inconsistency. Their defense has been good still, but 
we're just not seeing, like you said before, we're just not seeing them make those plays they need to win games. Yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you. Number eight, Memphis Express. And to me, there's two things that really, like, I struggle with. First and foremost, I don't like Mike Singletary as a head coach. I'm not the biggest fan of their coaching staff. I'm not a big fan of their play column. Also, Mettenberger is good, but give me uh, Brandon Silvers. I'm still calling for Silvers, man. We've been we called in week three, like like calling it now. Like Mettenberger, he's he. Both of these quarterbacks are better than Hackenberg, but I don't know. Throw me uh, Silvers. Keep Memphis at eight. They're probably going to be at eight all year. Number seven got the Salt Lake Stallions one and four. Uh, I think they probably dropped a couple spots for me. Like we've been talking about every episode, they're a better team than record indicates, but like the Express, they just can't get those those late uh, plays, those clutch plays to win games. Um, and the West is kind of getting away from them. As close as it was, they're now a uh, game back from Arizona, two games back from San Diego and San Antonio. So I think this week is a must-win for the Salt Lake Stallions and maybe even the Arizona Hotshots as well in that Western division. It sure is. Uh, Salt Lake, seven. Uh, they're the best one-and-four team. You, what what does that get you? That gets you the seventh on the power rankings. Well done, yep. Salt Lake Stallions. You've let me down every single week. I talk you up every week. You continue to let me down. I still have Woodrum as my starting uh, fantasy quarterback, so I do need you to keep putting up points. Over 300 yards was great, uh, but you're seventh right now. Number six, Arizona Hot Shots, and this is just painful for me because I had them one, I think, in our first episode, and I have them at six, and it to have the legends over the hot shots is it's just it says a lot about me. I, I'm a man of integrity, so I'm not gonna skew any of this. But the hot shots, man, like I've been saying, we just need to see complete games from them this week against Orlando. That that has potential to be a really bad a really bad game for Arizona if they can't get stops on defense. But John Wolford, I want to see you rise to the occasion. Let's make this a a quarterback battle between you and, and Gilbert, who originally we all thought would be contending or competing for MVP. Obviously, that's not the case anymore, but Wolford, come on, let's have a big day. Let's get this dub. Yes. So how the mighty have fallen. Six for me as well. Arizona hot shots. Ever since we started jinxing them, they have dropped and dropped and dropped. Uh, they're six now. Last week I was saying, well, it's pretty much a crapshoot after one, but I still believe in Arizona. Uh, after being down 26 nothing in the first half, I just don't believe in them anymore. Sure, they came piling back, but that you're not going to win games like that. Uh, I'm going to get into a little bit more of a statistics for their first half woes, but Arizona just needs to pick it up, and they need to come out firing against Orlando this week, but they're number six for me as well. Number five, the Atlanta Legends. What a rise it's been for them. Zampezi, if, if you can name an offensive coordinator, coach of the year, he would certainly be worthy of that. Aaron Murray doing a tremendous job. That defense is making plays. Tyson Graham and Ed Reynolds, probably one of the best safety tandems in the league. Reynolds didn't play this past week, but they still got the job done. And Atlanta, if they can win this week, are they a top-four team in AAF? I, I think so, honestly. But, yeah, I got Legends at five. Who do you got, Nick? Uh, here's where we start to switch, where we start to differ on opinions. Uh, for me, number five is my beloved Birmingham Iron. Though I still well, believe... Thanks. Though I still believe that they'll upset Orlando in the playoffs, it's going to take some time for Keith Price to find his uh, swagger. So I have, like, though they're second right now, we might even see them drop to three and three, maybe three and four. And I'm not going to be scared. They're still a playoff team. But as of right now, if you lined them up today with Keith Price at quarterback after only playing for three quarters – against San Diego, Atlanta, San Antonio, Orlando. I would take all four of those teams over Birmingham. So I have them fifth. All righty. That's, that's definitely surprising. I was expecting a fleet there for sure. But at number four, that's why I have is the San Diego fleet. If the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs, which is it's crazy to think because I just don't view them as a playoff team. But they've won games in back-to-back weeks, so I can't really fault them. They're getting wins. They're doing what they have to do. But... If they were to make the playoffs, I think that would probably be the most underwhelming playoff team um, in the AAF. Yeah, they uh, they are not the most exciting team out there, especially without the run game. It is fun to see Berkovici back. I also have San Diego at four. Uh, the the three and two. 
just, I think they're pretenders. I don't think they're contenders, but I'm not going to let my power rankings be, you know, decided by my personal views on what these teams will be. I think I'm going to go off of what they are right now. And right now they're three and two tied for first place. They are a playoff team. So I have to have them at four. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. We both have said that we don't really like the fleet all that much, but just based on their resume, based on what they've done the past couple of weeks, you got to have some respect for them. Exactly. Number three, Birmingham Iron, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, they, they rejuvenated quarterback play this week. That obviously helped them a lot. Um, I just want to see that consistency moving forward. Is that offense going to be just completely detrimental to their success as we've seen these past couple of weeks? You know, they can't rely on the defense as, as it's been proven, especially against a team like Orlando. So if they're going to compete with the likes of the Apollos, that defense has to step up even more than they have. But on the flip side, we also need to see that offense produce as well. But for now, I think the Iron, they've obviously through the first three weeks, they were considered the most one of the most dominant teams up there with Orlando. Obviously falling off the past couple of weeks, but still got to have respect for the Iron. And I still think that they're going to be in the playoffs against Orlando. Yeah, uh, so it seems like we're the same in all of these, if I have to guess for your two and one, except for five and three. We switched those, and for me, three, it's crazy, but I'm putting Atlanta third, which would have been ludicrous to say two weeks ago, but right now, with Aaron Murray, with the new offensive coordinator, what's his name, John? Uh, Ken Zampezi. Exactly. Sam Peasy making it look easy. Sam Peasy making it look easy, baby. I love it. I love Atlanta. That's why I think they're one of the toughest opponents that Orlando has to face for the rest of the year. I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with for the remaining five games of the season. And if they can beat out Birmingham for a playoff spot to face Orlando, that would also be a good game. I would be excited for that. I'm going to put Atlanta third in my power rankings with no hesitations. Don't at me. Yes. I think we honestly just, we just owe Atlanta an apology, but we'll do that at some other time. It, we, have, we really just owe that to them, a cordial apolog, uh, apology, but that, that we'll save that for next week, assuming they can go out and do some business this week. But at number two, um, San Antonio Commanders, a big win, obviously, against the Arizona Hotshots, I think. The hot shots are better than the record would indicate. I mean, I might be biased, but we all know my views on the hot shots at this point. But the commanders, they can beat you with, uh, with their running game, their passing game. Um, last week, it was the Logan Woodside show. The, the week prior, it was the Kenneth Farrow show. So they're distributing it uh, evenly. I, I really like that offensive attack. Mikhail McKay, they have a true number one wide receiver. I like their tight ends. Their offensive line has, has played well. And that defense, uh, Devontae Bosby, I talked about last week. He's a shutdown corner. He had an interception. Um that front seven has played pretty well, um, as well as the the back end and that secondary. But the Commanders right now, they're the favorites in the West. There's really no way around it. Yeah, shout out Mike Riley. Like, to be all honest, this team, uh, I think, is number two in the power rankings. Uh, my favorite team because they're coaching. And, and coaching is always overlooked. You always look at the players. You always look at the stats. You always look at the game, and you see what's happening on the field. But you never really like to think about what's happening outside or, you know, not on the field, but on the sideline. That's the word I was looking for. Mike Riley's doing a great job keeping this team who dropped to one and two, uh, had a four-game road stretch, just everything, adversity over uh, adversity. It just was there every single week. They come through 26 nothing. All of a sudden, it's 29 to 25, and they're going for a fourth and 12 onside conversion. Adversity after adversity. And they come away victorious. If they can win this week and go three and one on this four game road stretch, that will be unbelievable. If they go two and two and they lose this week, that's still fine because at the beginning of this, we said on this show, all they had to do was split that. And they're still going to be a contending team. And that's what's going to happen sitting at two and one on this stretch, three and two on the season, first place in the West. I love San Antonio. They're my number two as well. Let's get to number one, though. Number one, I mean, the Orlando Apollos, we talked about them a bunch before, the best offense, best quarterback, best head coach, best offensive line, uh, perhaps the best wide receiver core with Charles Johnson, Jalen Marshall, Renell Hall. We're just getting contributions from everyone on the offense right now. Scott Orndolph, he had a huge week um, at tight end. Uh, he had a long touchdown up the seam to start the game early, kind of got the Apollos uh, off and running. And there's really just nothing else to say about them. They're 
they're going to be undefeated in the regular season. So there's no there's no moving them from number one from here on out. I agree. Orlando number one. I mean, they're the best. Try and beat them. I dare you. Everyone else is playing for second place. I love saying it, but I've said it every single week, and I'm going to continue to say it. The Apollos are the best team in the AAF. Garrett Gilbert's the best quarterback in the AAF. Steve Steve Spurrier is the best coach in the AAF. It's a fun team. It's a fun team. Uh, But let's get into looking ahead. Week six. We've surpassed the halfway mark. And after week six, we are going to be inching closer to the finale of the season. Uh, We've recently started predicting these games. Uh, Last week was our first week. John was, what, two and two? And I was one and three after last week. This week, or week five, John went two and two again. And I went three and one. So we are now both four and four. Heading into week six, where the first game of the week, you can be you can watch it on Bleacher Report Live. Memphis one and four at Salt Lake one and four. The dud of the week. It'll probably be a good game. Uh, I mean, one of these teams need to keep their their season alive. It will happen. There's no ties in the AAF, so one team will be two and four. One team will be one and five. Uh, whoever's one and five, I'm gonna have to assume it's Memphis though. Because they're going to lose 20 to 23. Memphis will have to be accurate through the air if they want to win against Salt Lake. As Salt Lake's defense, they rank first in rushing yards allowed, tied for first with just two rushing touchdowns allowed all year. So poor Zach Stacy. But they're seventh in passing yards allowed, last in passing touchdowns allowed, last in passing completions and attempts allowed per game and overall now I don't believe in Mettenberger to win this game on the final drive but I do believe in Atlanta's young who young hoku to win this game why did I say Atlanta I don't know but I believe in Salt Lake's kicker to win this game who is it Taylor Bertolette yeah yeah buddy sure I believe it uh he's gonna hit it on a game-winning field goal though all right, I'm with you. I got Salt Lake in this one, but I just want to say, if they don't win this game, I'm never picking them. Ever, well, not never, but I'm not picking them again this season because that would just—I think I'd probably be like 0-4 on my Salt Lake picks. But um, yeah, I have them winning 20 to 15. I think this has the potential to be a low-scoring game, um, especially if both offenses don't come out of the gate hot, which I, I definitely see being the case as both defenses are somewhat respectable. Um, but I think this probably comes down to the final possession. Honestly, I, I can see that happening. I think whoever uh, takes care of the football, whoever gets, I think both quarterbacks, they kind of have to be a game manager in this game. I don't see either quarterback really trying to stretch the field, go vertically all that often. So um, I think both quarterbacks are going to be in a, in a comfort zone, just short passes, get out of the ball, get their, the ball out of their hands quickly. And I, I see Salt Lake coming away with this one as Woodrum. I, I just like him a little bit better than Mettenberger. And I think that's going to be a deciding factor in this one. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. We both say Salt Lake for their their season and for the last time that we might pick them. So hopefully they can come away with this victory. They have a lot to align with, with this one, especially, especially with our threat of not picking them ever again. They, they, they better go out and win just on that basis. <laughs> they better. Uh, then we got Saturday night's game on NFL Network. Arizona 2-3, and three, Orlando 5-0. and oh. Arizona's going to have to start fast against Orlando if they want to win. I said I would mention this earlier in the show. They've been outscored 43-12 to in the first half during their their three-game losing streak. They can't bury themselves before halftime each week. Orlando's going to come out rolling. So it's up to Wolford to keep it close in the first half and play harder in the second. If Wolford doesn't get the win here, I do think it'll be time that we call it on a season and let night train, let the night train play out for the rest of the year. I do not think they're going to win. They're going to keep it close. 31-25 Orlando over Arizona. Yeah, I have a high-scoring affair in this one as well. Certainly has a potential for that with Wolford and Gilbert under center. But let you, you pretty much hit it on the head with Arizona. They need to come out and just execute perfectly right from the jump. They, they can't have any mistakes against this Orlando team. And that's just something we haven't seen at all this season. 
with Walford, he's he's been a dud in the first half most games as well as the entire team. But if they can go out, score some early first half points, and and enter halftime down maybe single digits, then they certainly have a strong chance in the second half just based on what we've seen from this team so far. Obviously, I want to say they're one of the best second half teams in the league, but that doesn't mean much when you can't do squat in the first half. But overall, I think Orlando is just too much for the hot shots. Even if, if Wolford plays flawless, I, I just I think Gilbert will, on the other side, be flawless as well. So I have Orlando 28-23 to against the hot shots, and obviously a, a huge loss for the hot shots as they fall 2-4 and four and perhaps out of the playoff picture. That would be tough. Uh, that's going to lead us to Sunday morning, afternoon. I can't remember what time this game is, but it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. That I can remember. San Antonio, 3-2. and two. Atlanta, 2-3. Two and three. Pretty much going to be the game of the week in my eyes. Uh, San Antonio is going to have to run the ball. They're going to have to rely heavily on Farrell, as they have been. As Atlanta's defense ranks first in passing yards allowed, only 179 a game. First in passing touchdowns allowed, they've only allowed three passing touchdowns. However, they are ranked eighth in rushing touchdowns allowed. That's with with eight. Sixth in rushing yards allowed per game with 107. And seventh in receiving yards allowed to running backs per game, 40 a game. Listen. You're going to have to run the ball with Farrow a lot. It's going to be on his shoulders to win this game against the surging Atlanta Legends team. I'm going to predict that the road team, the San Antonio Commanders, come away with a 26-24 victory over Atlanta. As much as I love Atlanta, I do not think they can beat the second-best team in the league. Give me San Antonio. I'm with you with San Antonio on this one. This is perhaps the two hottest teams in the league right now other than Orlando, I do think it has the potential to be a high-scoring game. I think we could see Woodside and Murray kind of go back and forth in this one. And I think with San Antonio, we're going to see an even, even distribution between Woodside and Farrow. I think Woodside, he's going to put up some numbers. I think Farrow will put up some numbers. Uh, whereas in the past couple of weeks, it was either Woodside carrying the offense or Farrow. I think this week, we'll see both kind of carry an even load uh, as the commanders go to victory. And I just want to see if Atlanta's offense can keep up with San Antonio's in this game, if it's going to be an offensive shootout like I kind of kind of have a vibe for. Um, but th- this t- game could also come down to the final possession. And if you're looking at kickers, I mean, Young-Ho Koo has been really clutch for the Legends so far this year. I don't think he's even missed a kick at all so far. So if, if you see the Legends driving down the field in that, late in the fourth quarter um, in a, in a three-point or less game, I think that the Legends might steal this one. But overall, I think San Antonio, their defense is a little bit better. And I think they have a little bit better uh, balance on offense. So I have them 25 to 19 in this one. And that will lead us to the final game of the week, which will be Birmingham at San Diego on NFL Network. And now this game should have a lot of hype. Both teams are three and two and control their own destiny. However, I still don't buy into the fleet and their fourth quarter comebacks. I do believe in Birmingham as they've addressed their biggest flaw with their new quarterback price. I can see the Iron team having a big jump start due to the change at quarterback. They still have a good defense, regardless of what Gilbert did to them. That's why they're going to come away with a victory, 18-11 to at San Diego. I got Birmingham this one, so I think we, we have all the we same got all picks. four the same. We'll address yeah. that next week. We'll make sure that doesn't happen. Birmingham, why do you think Birmingham's going to win, though? Because we, we both know that we're not picking Salt Lake next week, so we'll, we'll see what, what happens there. But uh, Birmingham, 20-14. to 14. Um, Really what I'm, I'm watching for from them in this game is Keith Price, of course, but I need to see those big plays on offense. That's something that's been their Achilles heel all year. They haven't gotten any big plays. Last week, Brandon Ross had a big, I think it was like a 40-yard touchdown catch or something. He's been very, very impressive the past couple of weeks. Um, he's emerged big time out of that backfield. I think he's probably... I mean, I want to say definitely more talented than Trent Richardson, but obviously he's not going to steal goal on carries or anything like that. But San Diego, we talked to them about as a pretender, and if their run game can't get going, which it probably won't against Birmingham, um, I don't really trust Berkovici to to do much on his own. So Birmingham, I got them twenty to fourteen. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, looking forward to Week Six. Uh, let's jump to a game that we've been playing here uh, the last couple of weeks. We started this three weeks ago. What we're doing is we're picking a player in the AAF, anyone, any running back, wide receiver, tight end, to score a touchdown. If that player scores a touchdown, 
you win. If they don't, you lose. It's as easy as that. The twist in it is that once a player has been picked by either John and I, or I, that player can no longer be picked by either John or I. So in the first week we saw John pick Trent Richardson, he got that correct. I picked Davion Smith, I was incorrect. In week two, John picked Rashad Ross, he was correct, that makes him 2-0. and I picked Jaquan Gardner, he had nine attempts for six uh, yards, it was awful. He did not get it, I was 0-2. Week three, John picked Kenneth Farrow, of course he scored a touchdown. 3-0, and John. Nick, Zach Stacy, two touchdowns, should give me double points maybe, but regardless... One and two, don't call it a comeback. I'm coming it. I'm coming in hot right now. I'm picking this week for Joel Buano. Salt Lake going up against the Memphis defense that has allowed the most rushing yards to all running backs this year. I think he is going to be a touchdown machine with newbie injured, with Oliver on the IR. He's the only person there. He will be the bell cow for a 1-4 Salt Lake. Luckily, this week they're playing 1-4 Memphis, so I do not see them having to throw the ball and play from behind in the fourth quarter. So it's just more opportunities for Mr. Bonio to get me a touchdown. He is my pick. I'm going to go with Charles Johnson in this one. And um, with Arizona's pass defense, they gave up a, a big touchdown last week to the number one wide receiver for San Antonio, Mikel McKay. Charles Johnson did score last week, but I expect him to keep it going. Obviously, it's pretty much him and Rashad Ross as the top receivers in the league. Um, I think Gilbert at least throws for two or three touchdowns, so it's pretty easy for me to say that Charles Johnson's going to come down with at least one of those. I like it. It's a good pick. He's the beast. He's the man leading receiver in the AAF for uh, receiving yards. Two touchdowns on the year. Just got a second one last week. Let's jump, though, to our fantasy segment. My favorite segment, right, John? That's right. That's why we save it to the end, right? Um, but we'll start off with quarterbacks as we do. Number three, I'm going to go with Josh Woodrum against Memphis. Um, I think that's the worst pass defense against, uh, in terms of fantasy production allowed. Uh, Woodrum racked up over 300 passing yards last week, so I expect him to – I did say it's going to be more of a game manager type game, but I think he'll rack up some yardage uh, with – Demore Pearsonell, um, as a whole, Salt Lake has some good yak receivers, so I think that's where a majority of his yards will come, will come from. And I think he catches for a couple touchdowns as well. So Josh Woodrum, I got him at three. I am very happy that I didn't put Woodrum at three, as he was my number three. And then after writing about him and thinking about him and looking at him, and he's got a great matchup, I switched it up. So I'm glad we did so we can have a little bit of a differing opinion here um, as we haven't had for the last couple minutes here. But I have Zach Mettenberger, the flip quarterback in that game, Memphis's quarterback against Salt Lake. Salt Lake's defense is very stout against the run, but it can be broken through the air. Though I don't foresee Mettenberger getting the win, I do see a big game with over 30 passing attempts from Zach this week, which is different from the 17 that he threw last week. With that volume, he should sneak his way into the top three. I like it. Zach Menberger, I, I talked about him a little bit before. Not the biggest fan, but I could definitely see that game script kind of unveiling for him to rack up some points, especially if they fall behind. Um, number two, Aaron Murray versus San Antonio. Um, I've talked about their past defense a little bit, but they have proven at times to be a liability. And with Aaron Murray taking the lead by storm, this this new offensive brand, um, I think I think uh, coming out, they might, they might kind of give – San Antonio an uppercut and just kind of surprise them a little bit. But I think San Antonio's defense might settle down as the game goes on. But with that being said, I still like Murray passed for 300 yards last week. And I can see that happening again this week, um, especially if that, that game does have shootout potential, as I said before. So Aaron Murray, he's going to keep up his hot streak and finish again as a top three fantasy quarterback. Yeah, I like Aaron Murray. I'll talk about him in one second. However, first, let me talk about my number two, Garrett Gilbert, Orlando versus Arizona here. Gilbert, who's matchup proof, as we stated last week, does face an Arizona defense who leads the league in passing yards allowed. Will give Gil- or the, he'll, they'll give Gilbert a hard time. They have allowed five passing touchdowns, which is fifth in the AAF. I'm not predicting a huge yardage day from Gilbert, but his two passing touchdowns should be more than enough to get him into the two spot for this week in fantasy. Yeah, I'll segue into my number one with that, Garrett Gilbert. Um, Arizona, their pass defense has been a huge liability all year. And if anyone's going to take advantage of that, it's going to be Garrett Gilbert and, and the Orlando Apollos. Um, Gilbert, quarterback, won last week. I think he leads all, 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 all position players 
um, or skill position players in fantasy points on a season, fantasy MVP, and he's going to be the number one quarterback again this week. 117 points uh, leads leads uh, everybody. That's right. And my number one was your number two, Aaron Murray, Atlanta, San Antonio. Murray's going to be airing it out against the San Antonio defense. I project a lot of passes from Murray through his backs and receivers. San Antonio has allowed 1,733 air yards this year, which indicates the interest of passing deep from opposing teams. San Antonio has allowed the most passing yards through the season, or through the season, and the second most passing touchdowns. Murray has been balling since he entered the league, and it should continue in the biggest game of the season for the Legends. Alrighty, so moving on to running backs now. Um, number three, I know you're probably not too high on him last or this week. Um, he was your guy last week, though, but Zach Stacy against Salt Lake. Uh, I know they have a pretty good defense, especially in terms of uh, fantasy production allowed, but this game I see as a defensive struggle, so I think, I know you, you think a little bit differently. You think Matt Berger's going to have a lot of pass attempts, but I think Zach Stacy is going to be the, the man on the ground. Even though he hasn't been, last week was a huge game for him, by far his best game of the year, but before that he was kind of, kind of sluggish. I, I want to say his yards per carry from weeks like three to, to five or three to three and four were under three. But this week, I think he's going to continue to keep his hot streak going. Two touchdowns last week. So you know when they get down into the, the inside the five-yard line, you know who's going to get the ball. And I think Sherman Beatty, I don't think he's playing this week either. So that just means more touches for Stacy. Yeah, I am not sold on Stacy this week. I wouldn't have him as like a sit for me. Obviously, you're not going to sit Zach Stacy on your fantasy team, but uh, I don't see him as a top three. I don't see him as a top producer. My number three, though, is Tarion. I saw this in a tweet. Elvin Kamara, quotations, Folston. Oh, no. Yes. Folston and Radcliffe both finished week five with 11 carries, but Folston produced 50 more yards, ending the game with 81 total rushing yards on the ground. He also added six receptions on six targets for 23 yards and a touchdown through the air. Folston was a much-needed spark out of the backfield for Atlanta. It seems as if he has taken over as leading running back, or it seems like as if he should. So I don't think he's going to let it go, and I think he's going to have a big game against San Antonio this week. I did pick up Folston in our fantasy league, so that was pretty clutch on my part. Although I did drop Nick Shrewsdale, who just posted the highest performance for a tight end um, the whole season. He had 19.1 points uh, this past week, more than his teammate Joel Bonio, who we'll talk about here in a sec. But I just wanted to give some tight ends love, man. We haven't talked about a single tight end on this entire show, I don't think. But they did have four players score double-digit points. So perhaps a position on the rise. We'll see. I but also, I just too. real quick, predict, or, uh, picked up, because Anthony Denham, he's just gone now. He's done. So I picked up Wes Saxton, who ended up having three receptions, 75 yards for Birmingham. Good pickup. Yeah, Saxton, he's been really solid the past two weeks. Um, exactly. These past two weeks, he's been tight end three each week. So certainly one of the more productive tight ends where we've seen more sporadic production from week to week. Uh, Saxton certainly looks like a... Um, a consistent guy in that offense, especially in an offense that doesn't really have reliable receivers who just keep dropping the ball. So Saxton, we're going to give some tight end love. He's a guy to pick up. Uh, but we'll continue with these running backs. And I have Dearness Johnson at number two. Um, he kind of took a backseat to Devion Smith last week. It's kind of been musical chairs in that Orlando backfield between Smith, Johnson, and Akeem Hunt, although I think he's been hurt the past couple of weeks. Um, but Dearness Johnson, we saw him a couple weeks ago, and he, he's, he was on a hot streak. Um, I forget what his exact production was, but he posted a monster day, had over 20 fantasy points. And I kind of can see that happening again this week against Arizona. I expect Gilbert to have a big day through the air, and I also think Dearness Johnson's going to lead the way on the ground for the Apollos. Yeah, so my number two is a man that I talked about uh, just a little bit ago is Kenneth Farrow. He is playing in Atlanta defense that is terrible against the run. I will state it one more time. Last in rushing yards or rushing touchdowns allowed, eight. Sixth in rushing yards allowed per game, 107. Seventh in receiving yards allowed to running backs per game, 40. Now, Farrow's not Elvin Kamara. He's not a pass-catching running back, but he is a good running back who sees a lot of volume, right? He has 13-plus fantasy points in three of his last four games. I'm not bothered by Trey Williams getting 10 carries last week. San Antonio will rely on Farrow. He'll be the running back number two. Number one, I hope we're not. I think we probably might be the same here. Oh, but uh, Joel Bonio, it's hard, to go, it's hard to go against him right now. 
I actually had a, a mid-season AA fantasy draft uh, this this previous week, and he was the running back I selected, I believe, in the second round. Um, with Brandon Oliver out, it's, it's the Joe Bonio show. Um, two touchdowns last week, and he's just going to be the workhorse of that of that offense, especially in a game this week against Memphis, where I expect it to be a, m- a more defensive-orientated running running game. Um, even though I do have Woodrum as a top three fantasy quarterback, I still expect Buanio to find the end zone at least once, as as that would bode well for Nick, as if he's that's uh, who we picked to score the touchdown this week. But Buanio, I think he's going to be a, a strong running back from here on out to finish this season. I agree. Uh, with Oliver Hurt, newbie left Week Five's matchup with an injury. Buanio bullied his way into the end zone twice for the losing Salians in Week Five. If he's the only go-to guy for the Salt Lake Stallions against Memphis next week, he should be in for one hell of a day. Look, Memphis has a lot, like right. Memphis is allowed. Listen to this: the second most rushing yards this year, and the third most rushing touchdowns. Buanio has five rushing touchdowns in the last four games, and at least one touchdown in all four of those games, and four of the five games this season. And if you want to count the preseason game, he had two in that game. That's seven even, rushing touchdowns. Even last week, that was called back, I believe, as well. He so. sure freaking did. I was sitting there watching that. He had one called back. He's a touchdown machine. He's a touchdown machine. He will be number one. He has a knack for finding the end zone. Continuous success this week against Memphis. You and I agree. Buano, number one running back. All right, let's get to the diva position, the wide receivers, or is that just Antonio Brown? But uh, <laughs> I don't know Beckham. But um. <laughs> No, but obviously, number three, Mikel McKay. I know he's going against Atlanta, and I believe they're out tops against opposing wide receivers, but I still like him to be productive. Woodside's on a hot streak right now. I think that passing game is going to keep keep uh, elevating, playing well. I know you have Farrow making a big impact on the ground, but um, like I said earlier, I think it's going to be an even distribution between the running game and the passing game. Um, it's just really hard to gauge. After Charles Johnson and Rashad Ross, it's really just hard to gauge who that number three guy is going to be and who's going to emerge. But Mikel McKay is a solid option in my number three wide receiver this week. Uh, definitely foreshadows that we have the same one and two. Uh, number three, I also had Mikel McKay in at oh, number three. Okay. I'm so I, I actually got rid of him, and I'm so happy I did. I don't think he's matchup proof. And looking at the matchup he's got this week, it's not favorable for him. So I, I pulled him out and I pulled the plug. Like I said last week, I like to be a little bit obscure with my picks here at wide receiver because you never know what's going to happen, even though we both kind of predict one and two are the same. Number three, though, I'm going to go with Shontavious Jones, Atlanta's wide receiver going against San Antonio. Now, I have Murray as the number one quarterback of the week, and I had another Legends receiver in the three spot last week who had a dud, James Quick, who did not fare all that well. He had three targets. uh, He had zero receptions. So I'm doubling down. On my three spot with the legends. Give me Shontavious Jones, who did have 70-plus yards last week, or I believe 80-plus yards last week, and has had 70-plus yards in two of his last three games. Shontavious Jones, my wide receiver, number three. Just because you picked him, Malachi Jones is going to go out and have the big week this week for the legends. That's 100% true. But I do like that combo between Shontavious Jones and Malachi Jones. They both both have been really consistent and productive for the legends. James Quick obviously didn't have the, the week he wanted last week, but he's been he showed a lot of bright spots as well. He's he was a late pickup, I think, didn't start till week three or four. Um that brings me to my number two. And it's really just interchangeable. Charles Johnson, Rashad Ross, everybody already knows, so I'm not really giving anything away. But number two, Rashad Ross against Orlando. And uh, like last week, we saw Rashad Ross kind of go head to head against Mikhail McKay um, in terms of just uh, the biggest and best wide receivers in the league. And now we kind of get to see that again this week with Rashad Ross and Charles Johnson. And I think Arizona's passing game is going to be going to be working pretty well. Um, obviously, the the how they come out of the gate will really dictate their uh, their tempo and their mo- momentum the rest of the way. But Rashad Ross, he, he Mikhail McKay isn't matchup proof, but Rashad Ross certainly is. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we've actually. I'm glad we flip flopped these. For me, number two, I'll go with Charles Johnson. Johnson is the trusted target. Every quarterback wants. He may have a lot more to do with Gilbert's success than given credit for. It's nice to have an experienced receiver who knew how to get open against NFL cornerbacks. Johnson leads the league in receiving yards and is averaging just just under 100 yards a game. Even though Johnson only has two touchdowns this year, 
He's only had one game under 60 receiving yards, and he has double-digit targets in three of his last four games. I predicted Orlando to score 31 points this week, and they'll need Johnson to have a big day to achieve that score. I think he's going to have a big yardage day, 130-plus, no touchdowns, so John loses the touchdown bet. Uh, we'll see about that, but I do have my guy Charles Johnson at one. That Gilbert to Charles Johnson connection is going to be really strong against Arizona. You said Johnson can go over 130 yards, and I can totally see that as well. Um, I actually studied him a little bit, um, and he's just so savvy compared to most of the guys in this league. You, know, you kind of see some raw route runners, but Charles Johnson is so tremendous at the top of his stem, uh, breaking off routes, coming back to the ball. Um, we've seen a lot of drop passes in this league. But I, I went back and actually charted a few of Johnson's games. I only came away with two drop passes in the first four games. I didn't chart this past week, but he's just a step ahead as well as Rashad Ross. But um, Charles Johnson, I have him number one, and he is going to find that end zone this week. Yeah, he is not going to. But uh, my number one is Rashad Ross. Uh, I've gushed enough about Ross uh, you know, throughout the year. He's on my fantasy team. I love him. Uh, I won't spend much time on the most dynamic offensive player in the AAF, but Ross is facing the Orlando defense, who has been pretty stout against opposing receivers. They are third in the league in receiving yards allowed to opposing receivers, but sixth in air yards allowed. Teams are throwing the ball against Orlando while they're trying to play catch-up, but it isn't successful, right? However... This is the first time that Orlando will be seeing the likes of Rashad Ross. So I'm throwing all previous stats out the window, and I'm letting it ride on Ross as my number one wide receiver of week six, which wraps up our fantasy segment, doesn't it? It sure does. Um, we actually had our first question, our first uh, listener question, which comes from our, well, I was going to say our good friend, but it's more so Nick's good friend, and that's Russell Brown at Russ NFL draft, I believe is his. Oh, don't put his. me in the spot like that. I hope it is. Yeah. Sounds right to me. <laughs> um, that, that's and, um, I don't know if you have an answer here, Nick. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to gauge this, but he pretty much has asked us who will be the a prospect from the 2019 NFL draft class that will play in the AAF. Do you have any names that come to mind? Nick, I know you're in mobile, so you might have some guys from there. It, it is kind of tricky though, because you don't want to say a guy's going to be bad in the NFL, which leads into the AAF, you know, but um, do you have anyone that kind of comes to mind for you? I actually do. I surely do. So he's, he, he asked this question. I was excited. So I kind of thought about it and I actually thought about back to Mobile uh, and thought about all the players. And you're right. When it comes to these players, I, I didn't want to predict anyone not like who, whoever gave me a good impression in Mobile, I want them to be successful in the NFL. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be. Uh, the, the biggest player I saw that could be impressive in the AAF because of how the AAF is, is Trace McSorley. So he is my guy that can be an AAF starter in the next couple years. I think he'll have a shot. I think he'll be practice squad material because of that, because of his athleticism. Uh, and he's, he's going to be able to get on a practice squad maybe. Uh, but I think it's, it's kind of inevitable. His future is in the AAF. Trace McSorley. John, did you think of anybody? I totally agree with you. Trace is actually like the first name that came to mind for me. Um, you just look at his skill set, not something that really translates to the NFL, but looking at the AAF, we could use kind of these guys who can scramble around a little bit, throw that yellow ball down the field. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying he's going to necessarily be a successful AAF guy, but I think he's someone who definitely finds his way into the league. He fits um, the profile. He fits well, the yeah, profile. Exactly. Right, exactly. exactly. Um, but in terms of Penn State quarterbacks, that would have Christian Hackenberg and Trace McSorley. I mean, you just have to think that McSorley would be more more successful than Hackenberg at this level. Um, just in terms of some other guys that kind of came to my mind, I was thinking of maybe Benny Snell from Kentucky. He's got a lot of hype on um, that running back. But you just look at his athletic profile. It's not the greatest. And that's that's hurt players, especially at the running back position like Dearness Johnson. Um, he wasn't really given a shot at the NFL level. I think he spent some time with the Bucks. But um, he was no more than a practice squad guy. I'm not, not even sure if he made it that far. Um, but Benny Snell, he's just a prototypical AAF runner. You know, these guys, they're not the fastest, but they're strong and they're tough runners between the tackles. And that's exactly what his uh, running style embodies. So Benny Snell, he's a name to look out for. Maybe not right away, but give him like a couple of years in the league. He might phase out a little bit and find himself a new home in the AAF. 
I agree. And that's what you want to be looking for. And we're, neither of these players we're thinking right now or any time in the future but or soon future. But uh, in a couple of years, we'll see if maybe one of the, some of these guys uh, trickle their way to the AAF. That was a great question. We appreciate you, Mr. Russell Brown. Uh, it's your time of the season with the draft fastly approaching in the NFL. We are stuck in the AAF over here as we love it. It's a resurgence of a developmental NFL league. That is going to wrap up our show. Uh, John and I appreciate you listening. As always, follow us on SoundCloud and newly added to iTunes. So make sure you follow us on there as well. Follow us on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Faber NFL. As John's is at John Valencia BF. John, are there any last words you have before the band? I just want to say thank you to the like I do every week. Just thank you to all that have listened and have stuck with us. Like we really can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Um, We had a really good week. This past week uh, with last week's episode. So we're just we're hoping to continue to grow. We hope that you guys stick with us and and uh, we'll just have some fun with this and keep it going. We really do appreciate everyone though. We surely do. We tried to uh, shorten the episode this week so you didn't have to uh, give us 90 minutes of your time. More like 60, hopefully, if we get this correct. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We're gonna let the band take us away. Cheers, everyone. Have a great night. You can't see that. So easy to share I'm not so easy